Hello, and welcome to Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. Since the explosion of struggle against systemic racism and state violence in 2020, a new generation of workers and young people have asked what sort of approach is needed to help in the fight for liberation. At the same time, the right wing and far right have gone into overdrive in their efforts to push back against the legacy of the global BLM movement. In the crosshairs of this culture war are the academic ideas of critical race theory. Often taught in universities as a way to explain the systemic existence of racial oppression, we have to ask, does CRT provide a way forward? Or does Marxism have more to offer? Or are the two compatible? In this episode, our regular hosts, Connor and Yara, will be joined by Eric from Socialist Alternative in the US, who's also a member of the Black Caucus of Socialist Alternative. Over to you three. Hi, I am very excited about this episode because I think it's going to be about one of these things that everyone's talking about and very few people actually know what they're talking about. Um, So it'll be really good to kind of uh, get some information, kind of discuss critical race theory, why we've been talking about it, and also uh, uh, what opposition is on it. So we're here with Eric, and we're going to get straight into it with the most basic question uh, that we can ask, which is, what actually is critical race theory? Yeah, and it's a really complex question, you know, like, critical race theorists often disagree about what actually is critical race theory. And I think the first thing we got to talk about is that it originates in academia, you know, by two people, Kimberly Crenshaw and her mentor, Derek Bell. And long story short, it basically claims that, you know, racism doesn't come from individuals. It doesn't come from people having a bad moral system or things like that. It's actually systemic and that these systems use racism for a reason. So that's a step forward, you know, a lot, especially from a lot of identity politics that basically go like, you know, individuals are the root cause of racism. And if you just change enough people's opinions and they have a more woke analysis, then you have a better world. CRT says it's more complicated than that. But after that, it kind of like stops sharing any similarities with any other critical race theorists. You know, they basically disagree on everything else. They basically say racism is systemic. Okay. Colorblindness is kind of stupid, okay, but after that, we have no agreement on how do you tackle racism, if one can tackle racism, if one can build a world without racism, it just kind of throws their hands up in the air and mentions capitalism, but doesn't actually talk about how does it actually interlink with racism. Yeah, I think that that's um, a, a good summary of it. I think one of the things that particularly kind of strikes me with uh, critical race theory is how it is slightly different from some of the other approaches we're seeing at the moment, for instance. Um, we're seeing all of these corporations adopting this kind of woke capitalism approach at the moment, um, where they're basically trying to kind of make a profit off of the genuine anti-racist ideas and aspirations that a lot of young people hold. And I think in many ways, critical race theory is clearly uh, a a step, a big step beyond that. Um, It's a step beyond some of the more liberal approaches as well, as uh, as Eric was saying, Um, not just fighting for equal formal rights in the eyes of the law, obviously, as a theory that came out of um, what was what was kind of called critical legal studies. it, it has an understanding of the fact that the law itself is not necessarily like a 
you know, there's other questions around it. Um, how is a law implemented, for instance? Who's enforcing that law? That these questions aren't just about like equal formal rights on paper, but uh, to an extent, and you know, many. Uh, or some at least uh, critical race theorists would even kind of talk about things in like a material sense, but it is, you know, it's the facts on the ground, isn't it, that really matter. Um, and that is something that I think is, is a positive aspect to some of what these kind of theorists talk about. Obviously, uh, there's there's these kind of huge limitations um, to the theory as well, but I think that that's uh, something that we'll get onto. I think we have to really like, to contextualize the point, right, like this is a step forward, it's half of it is people recognizing their own theories, recognizing like, you know, we can't explain the happenings of the 20th century on the basis of individual ideas. You know, there's existence of a socialist international, of a communist international, that a lot of the activists against racism were Marxists and socialists and communists. And so a majority of the people, majority of CRT, the reason why it exists in academia because they were pushed to admit, yes, actually, systems exist. There is a ruling elite that benefits from racism. But that that theoretical concession, you know, to socialists, to Marxists, the people that were making these points, you know, long before Kimberly Crenshaw joined, like, a university or hosted talks on critical race theories, which is how critical race theory originated. It was through a book study group. You had activists on the street and in the workplaces making the very real connections that of racism that black and brown and people of color face every single day in the workplace to the larger question of how do you obtain political power and like reshape society so you don't have to deal with the very real nasty effects of racism day to day. So I think this step forward is really a concession to socialists, to activists, and it's really only a step forward. It's definitely not what all that we need. Yeah, and I think I think both of you talked a little bit about kind of, I guess, different approaches that existed before critical race theory became critical race theory. Uh, on the one hand, you had like the, this woe capitalism that Connor talked about when corporations uh, celebrate blackness or celebrate brownness uh, while still oppressing all of these people uh, and especially like immigrants and uh, people in the the colonized world. And then on the other hand, you have the very cynical approach of colorblindness, like you mentioned, Eric. We might have the Equality Act here. It might be legal to (laughs) discriminate, but but if you look at the reality, that's not what's happening. But I wanted to ask you because... At the same time that we all know this, and I think also anyone who's not white has experienced this in some ways, uh, living life generally. At the same time, we're hearing so many people talk about this like it's some kind of, you know, uh, detrimental or dangerous idea. Uh, We've seen both in the US and the UK, actually, uh, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, it being kind of the critical race theory being stopped from being discussed in schools. Um, so I was, I was wondering, why is it so dangerous? Why why is like, the government saying that it's so dangerous, both in the UK and in the US? Well, I think that we first have to contextualize why are we even talking about CRT in the first place, right? Like, why are these ideas coming up? And why is this a vermin reaction to it, as you said? It's because in 2020... Did we not like live through the biggest protest movement that the world has ever seen, you know, from the George Floyd Rebellion and how that had international implications? You know, for the first time in a long time, there was a movement in the U.S., you know, 
that original that sparked protests across the world to show that massive potential that exists. You know, if workers not just in the U.S. but even in any country, but particularly a industrialized economy that has a huge, you know place in the world that a lot of like people around the world look to to see what's happening you know like a lot of people internationally look at the developments in the united states and see that as a precursor to the developments in their own country and what they saw was millions of people actually going on to the streets to fight for racial justice in a way that the state reacted very violently against both across both parties democrats and republicans and also in all political parties internationally and so Critical race theory is a danger to that ruling class that's really scared, you know? Like, they don't want another protest again, and they want to actually change the consciousness of working people, push it a little more to the right. Maybe not so right where they, uh, you know, rewind into 20th century eugenicist skull-like measurement-like racism, but to kind of put doubts, you know, into working people about the interests of... Uh, black people or other people of color and if they actually align with the interests of the white working class. Um, and so we're seeing these attacks on CRT also extends outside of race, also to gender. Uh, Kahoot banned the word trans <laughs> from their app. And so if you type in, say, transatlantic pipeline, your Kahoot account will be frozen, which is absolutely ridiculous. But all of these things are really just preparing attacks to to divide the working class, yes, but also to reduce their confidence, to make them feel completely alienated from one another so they do not have another rebellion, you know, that can spark other rebellions in other capitalist countries, you know, for racial justice. And that also extends to economic justice. I think what what you said about kind of the fear of protest, I think is a really important point because CLT, like one of the main things they're saying is that the, the problem is structural and that it's not just, you know, us changing the law that is going to stop racism, right? So everything that the capitalist establishment and especially the conservative elements of the capitalist establishment are trying to do is stop us from going in every other route. The routes that we as socialists know are they are the only ways to change society. And they want to point at elections, they want to point at, you know, discussions in parliament or uh, all of that as, as, as methods of change. But then when you criticize that and go like, hold on, but we did, we did do that. <laughs> it didn't happen out of the blue. We did fight for it. But there has been these like legal changes and still there's no equality. Suddenly people are thinking, how do we actually change things? Yeah, I think the, the, the point is, really, we, we are seeing these kind of attacks, whether it's Trump talking about cutting funding to race-based ideologies in education, um, or, you know, the kind of imported version of that here with the Tory government saying that anyone who teaches about privilege and so on without the opposing side is breaking the law, um, obviously, like, attempting to kind of paper over the very real objective racism in society under the cover of, like, balance. You know, we have to be clear, and, and obviously they um, include critical race theory when they make these attacks as well. But what we have to be clear about is that this isn't about these governments' personal ideological disagreements with the analysis that's being put forward by these theorists. You know, it's uh, an attack on not only in education, but as a whole, like Eric was saying, these anti-racist ideas that are on the on the rise and the general anti-system mood as well. Uh, and I don't think it's any coincidence, for instance, that this these attacks on critical race theory come with all sorts of rhetoric. 
in the uh, US, you know, they've, there's been all sorts of figures talking about this being a Marxist ideology. The Tories have done the same, talking about cultural Marxism uh, when they talk about critical race theory, talking about this theory trying to abolish the nu nuclear family and overthrow capitalism. Uh, this this comes part and parcel with the other policies that we've seen. For instance, um, uh, the Tories uh, putting restrictions on teachers using resources from anti-capitalist organisations in school and this sort of thing. These are part of the same pushback, the same reaction from the right and from the ruling class um, against these movements like Black Lives Matter, like um, all the other kind of struggles that we're seeing at the moment from working class people, where people are increasingly thinking about these things on a systemic level, seeing that actually it is this whole system that's the problem and the whole system that's got to go. And, that, you know, the ruling class recognise that that's a big threat and that's why they're coming down so hard why they're trying to use critical race theory not not as like a genuine point of attack but basically as a scapegoat um for for these kind of ideas trying to stir up this cultural narrative and i definitely agree like this painting crt as a scapegoat has a dual purposes right because not only are you pointing like to working people who might you know because of the absence of really any genuine mass organizations of the working class, particularly in the United States, it's like a desert, that they'll, and that because of that absence, they'll, they'll gravitate maybe to those right-wing ideas. You could point to CRT as saying, the reason why you're not getting any any better, the reason why, particularly these contexts, like more people have died under COVID, under Biden than Trump, that you got more money under the Trump administration than under the Biden administration is because of CRT and that Biden only cares about black people and women and trans people. But also on the left, right? That you want to, the ruling class can give the plaintiff's impression that CRT is so dangerous because it's effective, when actually it's not effective. And that so now you have people that want to show against the system attaching themselves to bad ideas because it's seemingly as if the ruling class absolutely really fears CRT because it's, it will effectively end this system of capitalism when in reality they fear CRT because it might actually lead to a socialist consciousness. And I think that's really important to understand. So, like, because it really is important, you know, to kind of, like, talk about, like, uh, why the ruling class fears CRT in a way that doesn't give CRT too much credit than it deserves. So, hold on. I don't get it. Is CRT Marxist or not? So, that, so that is actually a good question, you know. You have a couple of people who are CRT theorists that may call themselves Marxists. And we can get into a whole debate of if their Marxism is actually Marxism. But I think the larger point is this, you know, you can call yourself a Marxist, a socialist, a communist, or whatever. But if the main tool that you are, like, espousing does not actually engage the working class, it doesn't actually point to struggle, and, it, and we'll get into this later, doesn't actually even answer the question if another system is possible, then you're actually not doing what a Marxist does in the real world. And as Marxists, we don't, we're not ideologues. We also want to do things in reality. And if you're not doing the things in reality that Marxists would do, then you're not a Marxist, you know? Clearly, there's these, there's these limits on the ideas of critical race theory. Um, and I think the part of the discussion that we have, obviously, a lot of this is focused around like education. It has also had an impact in like the workplace and that sort of thing as well. And in society more widely, you know, this is something that's not just discussed on school boards or on right-wing press conferences it's you know it's the kind of thing that i think many people will have had like a discussion around the dinner table on uh, for instance but i think one of the questions is actually you know what what do we kind of do about these attacks as well 
obviously in education that's that's an obvious battleground uh we do have to continue fighting for a you know the right to a kind of critical education the right to an anti-racist education to be able to point out these facts about the reality of racism uh in society without you know without the tories trying to kind of silence that for instance um but also obviously i think this whole dynamic we're seeing with this pushback against these ideas is it's a good example of what we face uh with all of these movements whether it's against racism or a number of other things under this system which is that they'll always be under attack when we're well, when we're stuck under capitalism um there'll always be these attempts to kind of push back against movements that are looking at and fighting for change even if it's not necessarily already directly fighting for like a socialist society but yeah as i say i think this does raise the question about you know for us as as socialists that are involved in anti-racist movements that were involved in black lives matter and the george floyd rebellion we 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 have kind of pointed towards in this discussion as well big limitations that we see in critical race theory as socialists we would put forward our own program about fighting racism but how does that differ from critical race theory i have like two big problems with critical race theory one uh well really three but i'll sum it down to two one as from a theoretical standpoint you know and it's affecting this sort of struggle to end racism and that means ending capitalism and building a social society but also as a teacher because i'm currently a student teacher and like i'm we do talk about crt quite often you know in our university classrooms. But I think starting, I think theoretically, because I think that's a really important basis to kind of start everything on, is that if you look at the, the, the arguments of Derek Bell and Kimberly Crenshaw, but particularly Derek Bell, right? Long story short, they will say to you, you know, if you read their books, that the US ruling class, every concession, you know, to racial justice, to activists was geared to the ruling class. Basically, you cannot reform this system. And that I think that is the one of the most positive things of CRT, right? They'll they say reformism actually doesn't work. You can't reform this system. And that the capitalist can actually take a concession back, you know, or twist it for his own aims. And so there's some things that we could agree on that, right? Darabelle reaches that conclusion by analyzing the board versus the Brown versus Board of Education decision, uh that which is known in the United States the desegregation of public schools because he argues that the U.S. ruling class was embarrassed by the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union rightly called out the U.S. for Jim Crow, you know, practices, for its lynching, for its basically racial, racial apartheid, and the U.S. ruling class could not afford that embarrassment. And so they worked with the Department of Justice to, you know, start the investigation that would lead to the case Brown versus Board of Education. And Derek Bell says, this proves, you know, that any reform, one, you know, under the system is actually strengthening the white ruling class and that you cannot win a concession that actually defeats the white ruling class in the long term. And so he negates, you know, mass struggle. He basically says, you know, you can struggle for all you want, but the rulers are going to win regardless. And it's a deification of white, of white supremacy and the white ruling class. And so he basically also doesn't ever talk about then the possibility of racism ending. He actually leaves a mute. And so this is the base of austerity, not actually answering 
you know, the question. I actually constructing solutions because implied is actually there is no solution. And that the only thing you can do is analyze it. And this is why I hate it as an educator, you know, because then they extend this, you know, because CRT actually isn't that radical. Actually, it can strengthen the, a lot of the same sexist and racist understandings that we have, you know, in capitalism. Uh, one study that I was reading as like a class, as like a teacher, basically going on and on about CRT. And I think it's important to talk about like, yes, no one, no teacher is going, teaching CRT in the classroom. Like literally, like, I don't know what that would even mean. <laughs> you know, if that would happen, students would be like, act like they're on planet Mars. But in a university, it does, is being taught. It is an impact. But it's like taught in this way that's like, we recognize there are these, there's racism, there's sexism. And what you can do to kind of challenge that is to have your own little kind of tiny practices that can maybe like make that person feel better. And it's predominantly white students that are the focus. White students that might realize that the world is racist and they benefit from that. So how can teachers make them feel better? And also, if you're black on your brown, how can I include cultural signifiers that might make you understand the material better? It's no discussion about how do teachers change inequality that impacts their students. It's actually just accepted as, you know, a priori, you know, something that will always exist and always continue to exist. And this one study I read basically said, if you want to encourage, you know, uh, students, uh, student, cis women students, you know, cis girls, you should divide the classroom into two genders, boys and girls, you know, and this will allow, you know, uh, girls, cis girls to kind of feel more confident in the classroom, which they don't address trans people, they don't address queerness at all, you know, and it's actually just another form of segregation. It doesn't actually answer the question, why are there sexist, why are there sexist ideas in children as young as 10 years old? And why are they acting on that? You know, and the last thing I'm going to say is that, and I think this is the really bitter pill, is that the, the CRT really gears teachers to become extremely bitter and reactionary, particularly white teachers, because they get them this ideologist, this thought process. Like, one, you know, you can't challenge racism as a white teacher, that black students and people of color students know more than you for the simple fact that they're a POC. And that what your job should be is not the content, but just all the the, fitty fix, the pretty fixtures, you know, to make them feel comfortable. Not actually questioning why the hell are they learning what they're learning in the context of capitalism. And so what you get as a teacher is when you go to your public school where you have to teach over 150 students and they're throwing chairs at you and they're calling you, you know, curse words and you're dealing with all this stuff. And what you've been taught in your university is like, wait a minute, I should like... the they are going, they have such a bad, you know, upbringing, but all the practices is not working. CRT tells you it's because you're racist, you know, it's because of your own whiteness or the fact, or even, even if you're PLC, it's because of, you know, your proximity to whiteness. And so you become extremely bitter. You go like, okay, well, I guess there is no changing of like the situation and I'm fuck, and I'm stuck as a teacher making no money whatsoever, taking care of these goddamn kids. And so you become extremely bitter and just want to wait until retirement and actually hurts the class struggle that reinforces white supremacy. And so it kind of like all, CRT, the road to CRT ends in the reinforcement of the capitalism and the white supremacist system, the same one that they're criticizing called criticizing. We've mentioned the origins in kind of the late 70s 
of of this theory and i think that when you look at it in the context of what was going on at the time you can see how it was a step backward um you know this was just after the kind of biggest waves of struggle that had existed uh, in fighting racism the most advanced waves of struggle as well things like the black panthers who were viciously suppressed by the u.s state um as well as you know big civil rights leaders in the period before Martin Luther King and Malcolm X uh, being killed as well. And out of that demobilization, um, you start to see kind of these kinds of academic approaches, these analyses that draw the conclusion that, well, you know, it looks like actually it's pointless even trying to fight for the kinds of things that, that many of those struggles were fighting for. I think that's an excellent point, you know, and that that is the main flaw in Derek Bell's and Kimberly Crenshaw's analysis and CRT as a whole, right? It It's a completely misunderstanding of the nature of concessions. That yes, the ruling class often concedes things that they could think they can take it back, you know? They're the enemy, you know? Of course, they're not going to just cave completely in, you know, to our first victory, right? But you have to acknowledge that it's a victory, that they were pushed by the Soviet Union you know, which was a vestige of the 1917 Revolu- October Revolution, you know, that would have happened, obviously, without socialists, <laughs> without Marxists, of course. And right next, you know, in that process, you know, of, like, the civil rights movement in the 50s and the 60s and the Black Panther Party, etc., there were working people that were genuinely fighting against the capitalist system that got those lessons that, oh, we want these reforms, but nothing is changing. I mean, that's what Malcolm X was all about. You know, that's why people gravitated to Malcolm X, because he was making those points that the 1960, the, you know, the Civil Rights Bill voting and the Voting Rights Bill are nothing, and that they don't actually heal the wound. And that the activists that got these demands, you know, should recognize their power to fight for even more things, you know, for broader things, for, you know, sustaining things. But the most important thing, you know, is that Derrick Bell throws out the strategies. Doesn't even talk about them, you know. It's not even interested in how, you know, activists were able to kind of pressure the United States government to give those concessions. He just makes so much of, so much, you know, of the fact that the ruling class could have benefited in some way. We're in capitalism, y'all. A lot of these are going to benefit the ruling class. It's about what are the strategies and tactics that actually got us to that point? How can we improve them? And what are the demands that can broaden out the struggle? If you're not operating on that you know, basis, then you are playing into the vision, either through the short term, which is outright reactionary ideas, or the long term with a misunderstanding of why racism and sexism is here and who can actually fight that. Again, I do think we made a lot of points about it, but I think it's really important to emphasize that a lot of people get radicalized by it because I think a lot of people from ideas of identity politics, from ideas of critical race theory, uh, understand their own experiences in a way that radicalizes them and politicizes their own personal experiences as well, which I think is a really, you know, positive thing. But then I think the point that you're making about how we're actually going to fix it and what's good and what's not good about the progress that we're making is kind of the, the the big deal out of it, right? Like, I always found it really strange uh, when we talk about racism and the fight against racism, this use of the words like like ally and things like that. I always found, because we, we, we have these, like, so many books, especially in the last couple of years since the, like, uh, BLM movement started, and especially since the George Floyd uh, protest. I'm seeing so many books coming out from these, like, uh, black academics telling us how uh, white people should... Uh, engage with the struggle and what they should say and what they shouldn't say and how they can make uh, black people in their lives and brown people in their lives feel better which obviously 
is great. Like we should, as human beings, want to understand each other and make people feel comfortable. Like that's not a, a negative thing at all. But I think that something is often miss and that is the fact that the main thing that white people can do and the main thing that anyone can do if they want to fight against racism is go out and build a movement together with black and brown people. And I think it's really important to make the point that the system oppresses every single group of person, basically, based on different things, whether it's sexism, transphobia, homophobia, racism, all of that. Uh, and I think the biggest element is class. Saying that the concessions that are won by our struggle are pointless because they are only reforms miss the point that these concessions were won through movements. So these movements can win even more than that and can win also the toppling down of this system that causes racism in the first place. Definitely. It's really important to like always contextualizing like our approach to CRT and ideas like CRT because you also have other ideas that are like branches of CRT. You know, some people consider intersectionality a branch of CRT. Others consider CRT a branch of intersectionality, you know, because how vague and confusing that it is. Um, is that like these ideas, you know, like in a vacuum, you know, it may be in another context, in an entirely different world, you know, you can maybe play with these ideas, you know, you might get some tippets, you know, that are useful. And we're not saying, you know, all of CRT, you know, is just like complete garbage. But the point is that all these academic tools, they think of them and I will use their terms, uh, lenses, you know, these are lenses. And you can pick one up and you can put one down. And any critique you raise in one lens, an academic will say to you, oh, you know, that's why we have this other lens. You know, it just makes up for these critiques. And that's the whole Marx quote, right? It's like we're always going back to like the same old points that Marx and others were like arguing. And Marx made this point, the point of philosophers not only interpret the world is to change it. And I think there's a disagreement with that, you know. Can they actually change the world? Do they think it's their right, you know, to change the world, you know? Um, and I think as Marxists, like, the reason why we're the best fighters, because we based the, our ideas, not even on, like, just, like, what's right, you know, but, like, what is the everyday life of that working class person look like? And for people of color, that is an extremely important question, because if you do not actually have that understanding of their lives, you don't actually get rid of racism, <laughs> you know? Like, they actually understand, you know, the position of the black working class is to actually go into their lives day to day. And that's why a lot of white socialists do a lot, you know, about the black working class and are able to connect with black activists. A lot of them were first black nationalists because they're like, oh, wait, hold up. You actually have opinions, you know, on black on struggles in the black working class, and you know what you're talking about, you know, and you're going to disagree with me and not patronize me. That is the stuff that multiracial working class movements are built out of, not out of patronage and not out of pragmatism or ignoring, you know, the struggles of black and brown people. Thanks to our three speakers for this month's episode of Revolutionary Ideas. This is a podcast produced by Socialist Alternative. If you would like to get involved and learn more about joining the struggle for a socialist world, contact us on our platforms. You can join through our website at socialistalternative.net. On Facebook, we're Socialist Alternative, ISA, England, Wales and Scotland. On Twitter, we're Socialist Alternative EWS. On Instagram, we're Socialist Alternative dot EWS. And last but not least on TikTok, we're at Socialist underscore Vids. Until next month, see you soon.